A group of young children were asked, what does love mean? Or what is love? And here are some of their answers. Little Karen said this, when you love somebody, your eyelashes go up and down and little stars come out of you. <laughs> Billy said, when someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. You just know that your name is safe in their mouth. Cindy, during my piano recital, I was on a stage and I was scared. I looked at all the people watching me and saw my daddy waving and smiling. He was the only one doing that. I wasn't scared anymore. Today we're continuing our series looking through the book of Ephesians uh, by looking at a prayer which the Apostle Paul wrote and prays for the Ephesian church, which is basically all about love. And if you've missed either of the talks uh, so far in the series, I'd encourage you to catch up with them. You can do it by the website, by a podcast. And uh, also, I really would encourage you, it's just a six chapters long letter. It's really, really worth reading for yourself, the book of Ephesians. Read it more than once if you can. And if you're in a small group, then this week there will be resources which will help you go deeper. So we're going to read this little part of the prayer today. This is um, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 19. For this reason, which you'll have spotted is the name of this series, for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So as we focus just in on a couple of verses here, I want to focus on the three main messages we find here, which is talking about what, what God's love is like, what it means to grow in it, uh, to know it, sorry, more deeply for ourselves, and how we can then grow in experiencing it. So as we think about love and as we begin to consider God's love, it's important to recognize we all have a starting point. Uh, there are so many things that are impacting already our view of what love is. I wonder how many of you might have answered that question if you'd asked, been asked, you know, what does love mean or what is love posed to those children? Some of you are old enough, like me, to remember the film Love Story with Ryan O'Neill and Ali McGraw. Amazingly, can you believe that film is now over 50 years old? Last, uh, last year, they released a restored limited edition Blu-ray that came out uh, to celebrate that milestone. Now, Debbie and I saw it very, very early on in our relationship. And the plot of that film, if you haven't seen it, is essentially this. Oliver meets Jenny. They fall in love. Oliver's very wealthy father opposes their marriage. They marry anyway, and he cuts them off. And then Jenny finds that she's terminally ill, and she dies in Oliver's arms. Even if you haven't seen the... Sorry to have spoiled it there. If you're about... <laughs> you're thinking... <laughs> I told you the ending. Even if you haven't seen that film, even if you've never heard of that film... I bet you may have heard a line from it, which begins with the words, 
love means. And I wonder if you would join me in saying it out loud if you remember that line. It is this. Love means never... That's fantastic. Well done. Love means never having to say you're sorry. Now that phrase is basically nonsense, okay? <laughs> the very opposite is the truth. Sorry is actually one of the most important words in a truly loving relationship. But despite that, we'll forgive them that, okay? It was a pretty good film. <laughs> Hollywood shapes our ideas of what love is, our view of what love is, sometimes helpfully, sometimes not helpfully, and pretty much every film will have some love interest in it. So if, like me, you've seen Top Gun, in fact, if, like me, you've seen it twice in the last two weeks, you'll know there's a love story and there are friendship stories and so on within the film Top Gun Maverick. If you haven't seen it, like, why not, is the question. 30 years ago or thereabouts, Top Gun came out, one of the best, got to be best 10 films of all time. And then now, honestly, Maverick, it is incredible, and you can't wait until you get it on video. Right? Go to the cinema. Trust me, I'm your pastor, right? Go to the cinema in the next couple of weeks. I digress. I'm sure somewhere in my notes I must be... <laughs> Hollywood shaping our view anyway of love. Sometimes helpfully, sometimes not so helpfully. Our family, our early childhood experiences will also impact the way we think about love. Research has found that uh, the way that a child is shown or is not shown affection from a very early age can affect their ability to develop secure and loving relationships throughout their adult life. It may be that for you personally, you grew up in a home or in a situation where love, where affection um, was just not easily expressed. And so even talking about this idea of love, talking about the love of God may be uncomfortable for you. Even as Christians, when we know, yeah, God loves us, God is love, that's fine. Um, you know, and some of us grew up wearing those little yellow badges with a smiley face on it. Smile, God loves you. Um, you know, you can just kind of get used to that, a bit blase. Yeah, God loves me, that's fine. But what does it really mean? Whatever our existing assumptions about what love may be, we can all subconsciously apply our imperfect human ideas of love to the love of God. And we can fall into a misunderstanding of what God's love is truly like. But here Paul is reminding us about, well, first of all, the sheer magnitude of it, of God's love. This is the second half of verse 17. I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. The love of Christ is like the widest, the longest, the highest, the deepest thing that you could possibly imagine. In fact, Paul says in verse 19 that this love surpasses knowledge. It's beyond, beyond knowing. It surpasses knowledge. Welsh hymn writer William Rees tried to capture God's incredible love shown in the person of Jesus Christ in the hymn, Here is Love. And this hymn became known as the love song of the Welsh Revival back in the very early years of the 20th century, where church buildings in Wales were overflowing, where thousands of people came to faith in Jesus, listening to lyrics like this. Here is love, vast as the ocean, loving kindness as a flood, 
when the Prince of Life, our ransom, shed for us his precious blood. Grace and love like mighty rivers flowed incessant from above. Heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world with love. Now that was very different from the idea that the Ephesian readers originally would have had. They were familiar with the supreme God who would have been familiar there. Uh, Ephesus was the second largest city in the Roman Empire at the time. It was a center for commerce and of worship for the Roman gods. And uh, the supreme God of the Roman Empire was Jupiter, depicted here in this marble statue. He was at the very top of the hierarchy of all the Roman gods. And the people believed that he had absolute authority among things like the weather, or he presided over the fates of humans, whether they live, whether they died. And he was distant, and he was very frightening. Romans were expected to appease him with sacrifices, and they risked punishment if they behaved in a way that displeased him. Displeased him. And Paul is saying God... The Father, our God, far from being cruel, far from being distant, far from being angry and ready to punish you, is a God who sacrificed himself to save you. Sacrificed himself in the person of God the Son, Jesus. I recently heard the story of George Selby. George, with his family, including his seven-year-old son, Louis, were on holiday in Mallorca. And Louis was standing on this steep stone staircase that overlooked this, this deserted cove, and he was suddenly hit by a huge wave. Swept him off the staircase and into the water, into the rough sea. And his father, George, immediately jumped in to attempt to save him. The Coast Guard was called... But tragically, neither Louis nor George survived. Later, it emerged that George couldn't swim. But compelled by the instinct of a father's love for his son, he just went in anyway to, to rescue him. Now, this is a very limited picture, of course, but I hope the parallel is clear. It captures something of the immeasurable love that God has for us that Paul is trying to describe here. He's not a distant God. He's not an angry God that the Ephesians would have been familiar with, to, who would just have left us to our fate, but a father who would jump in and rescue us from death to life. God's love, which we do sometimes take for granted and we're very familiar with, it really is, when you stop to think about it, a really utterly profoundly wonderful thing. Our associate pastor Susie recalls a conversation that she had whilst working as a teaching assistant with a, a troubled student. The only emotion she had ever seen from him was anger. And she said this kid had watched his mum being violently attacked by his dad and basically he was a mess. And one day he was so badly behaved, everyone was after him. And describing what happened, Susie said this. So eventually I took him to one side looked him in the eyes and said, you know what? I believe there's a God in heaven who loves you and believes in you. And this lad started crying. And Susie recalls in that moment realizing the power of God's love to reach people who feel unloved. Maybe your own experience of love has been influenced by 
a difficult past or a difficult relationship, different f difficult family situation. Maybe you've heard that expression, God loves you, and you've thought, well, you know, that's probably true for other people anyway, but for me, I don't feel at all lovable. I'm so far from God, his love couldn't reach me. It couldn't reach as far as my brokenness, my shame, my addiction, the things I've done in my life. But in these verses here in Ephesians, uh, we see that yes, yes it can. It is wide, long, high, deep enough to reach all of us. And in another of Paul's letters, we're told that nothing, if we're in Christ, nothing can separate us from the love of God, no matter how far we may have drifted for, from him. And Paul wants us to go further than grasping the magnitude of God's love. He wants us to actually know it in an experiential way. So verse 18, he wants us to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. To know this love. Now when he's talking about knowing God's love, he doesn't mean the kind of, the kind of rational understanding that we think of when we hear the word know the word knowledge in common use of English today. Knowledge uh, that's to do with what we think. This idea only emerged during the Enlightenment in the 17th and 18th centuries. The audience that Paul is writing to here, Greek audience, there wasn't a separation of the rational mind from the irrational emotions. The heart was actually seen as the location of, of everything, both physical sensations and also of thought. And so to know something, for Paul, is to experience it. And that's what Paul's praying for here, that his readers would know the truth of God's love in both their minds and in their experience, that they would experience it in what it says here, in their inner being. It's one thing to suppose we had a large amount of money in the bank. It's another thing to withdraw it and enjoy spending it. In the same way, it's one thing to know about God's love, but it's another thing to live in the rich reality of it. It's a lifelong adventure, discovering more about God's love for us. And Paul prays that we would grasp how vast it is, and we would also know it in our personal experience. And there's this little paradox here in verse 19, when Paul prays that the Ephesians will know this love that surpasses knowledge. Know this love that, will, that surpasses knowledge. He wants us to know what is way beyond our being fully able to ever know. See, certainly until we get to heaven and then we, we will know all things. But to experience the reality of God's love in ways we can't fully comprehend, we can never plumb the depths of fully. Blaise Pascal was a 17th century uh, influential scientist, mathematician, and inventor. And when he was about 30, he had an experience, something incredible happened to him, supernatural happened to him, an experience with God which led him to tumble into faith in Jesus. And it's not clear exactly what happened in this experience, but it clearly affected him in just a massive way. And as soon as it was finished, he grabbed a pen and paper and he wrote down what was just swirling through his head. So as I read you a bit of this, this is, bear in mind, Old English, and uh, he tumbles out onto the paper in rather slightly unconnected phrases. Sometimes he's speaking in his own person, then he's suddenly quoting scripture, or he's speaking God's word, and so on. But basically, you'll get the gist as I read it. 
Monday, 23rd November, from about half past 10 at night until half past midnight, fire. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and of the learned, feeling, joy, peace. God of Jesus Christ, my God and your God, your God will be my God. Forgetfulness of the world and of everything except God. Joy, 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 tears of joy. I have departed from him. They have forsaken me, the fount of living water. This is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God and the one that you sent. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. I left him. I fled him, renounced, crucified. Let me never be separated from him. He is only kept securely by the ways taught in the gospel. Renunciation, total and sweet. Complete submission to Jesus Christ. Eternally in joy for a day's exercise on the earth. May I not forget your words. Amen. And then he took this piece of paper and he carefully sewed it into the lining of his jacket, a jacket that he apparently wore then for the rest of his life. And I understand it was only discovered when he died that somebody actually undid that stitching and they found this sewn in his pocket. Here's a picture of it. And here's what Paul's writing about here, that we would experience God in a profound and meaningful way. And it will be different for every one of us. Probably not all of us would write quite that way, but we can probably, many of us have described experiences that we've had with God. I think back to when I was 11 years old. I was in a meeting in London. They were talking about the Holy Spirit. Apparently, I just sat there and cried through the whole of the talk from Michael Harper. Um, some of you are old enough to remember him. And... Um, and then my parents are like, what, what's going on? I'm like, I, don't, I just want to tell people about Jesus. And then they said, if you want to come to this little room, we'll pray for you. So I'm like, get me there. So they took me. And I, they thought, you're a bit young to be going up for prayer. to this. Anyway, prayed for me. And suddenly I erupted in another language, just speaking fluently in another language, speaking in tongues. And I was so um, ecstatic in the experience that I would hardly shut up in the car all the way back from London. And then, apparently... A day or so later, they said, look, John, you will either have to stop or you'll have to leave the lounge. I mean, like, you need to go to another room because I just couldn't contain praising God and also just speaking fluently in this other language. I was overcome. And uh, I've had not quite that level of experience, but certainly amazing experiences with God since. And some of you will also have had those. It'll be different for each of us, but that we are to treasure those experiences Keep them in our hearts as Pascal treasured the memory of his experience. Only instead of it being written on a piece of paper in our jackets, it will be written somehow, written on our hearts. So that's what Paul says about, God's, about what God's love is like and his desire that we would know the reality of it. So what does Paul say about how we might grow in experiencing it? Well, back to verse 17 again, being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Together with all the Lord's people, that is us, the family of God, the church. Knowing and living in God's love is not something we do in isolation. The individualism that sometimes can creep into Christianity, that's not just me and God, my relationship with him. It is 
It's a corporate thing, the body of Christ of which we are part, the family of God. And so we don't just do that in isolation. Of course, you can have wonderful experiences on your own with God, and I would encourage you to press into time with God and, and uh, engaging with those experiences as they come. But in many of his letters, Paul talks about our need for each other. And he uses the analogy of the body, including this verse from Ephesians that we're basing the, uh, the vision for the year on, just on the same page here, chapter 4, 16, from him... The whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. As each part participates, it's growing in love together. Paul knows that we are limited in understanding God's love until we see it working out through others. We share our experiences of his love, which encourages and builds each other up. We express something of the love that's been extended to us by extending it to others, by caring for one another, by looking after one another in the good times and in the bad. I was struck very recently by something that Kerry Newhoff wrote. Sometimes the most tangible form of God's love is the love you receive from people who love God. Sometimes the most tangible form of God's love is the love you receive from people who love God. We get in touch with God's love through others in a profound way. We also get in touch with God's love at a deeper level when we worship with others. As we express our love to God in worship through the lyrics of songs we're singing, we can experience his love at a deeper level when we do it together. We can worship, of course, on our own. It's a beautiful thing to do that. But together, there's something different. I remember when Debbie and I were living in California for eight months, uh, 35 years ago. We were interning at the Anaheim Vineyard, which John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard Movement, was leading. And as I was pastor on call, I was the lowest form of ecclesiastical life. Okay, That was basically an intern pastor. The very And basically, you get to all these things. Uh, it was great for our training and experience. But anyway, pastor on call meant that during church services, I was wearing a headset with an earpiece and a radio, which I was in touch with ushers, car parking, and security. And it was a massive church. And so there was constant security issues or something kicking off during a service. And I was, you know, you had to discern what's for me as a pastor and what isn't. And I was working with a more experienced pastor. All that to say, wearing this headset in worship on duty, and yet I could not stop weeping throughout those worship times, just for for weeks on Sunday, leaning against the wall, distracted, and yet totally engaged, overwhelmed by the love of God, the presence of of his spirit in the worship, and worshiping with God's people in the company of two or three hundred, no, two or three thousand other people. We know and experience God's love together. And secondly, we need the Holy Spirit. It says here in verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. And I pray that you may have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. We need power to grasp it. We need the Holy Spirit to help us understand it. And Paul says in this text, we've got the Trinity going on all over here. We've got, Paul says he kneels before the Father, praying that he would strengthen us through his spirit 
so that Christ may dwell in our hearts. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. He's described as the Spirit of God. He's elsewhere described as the Spirit of Jesus Christ in Philippians. Essentially, though the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are three distinct persons which make up the Trinity, and there will be differences in the way we relate to them. The way we relate to God the Father will be different to the way we relate to Jesus the Son. There will be differences, but it's the Holy Spirit who engages directly with our spirit throughout the day, empowering us and enabling us to know and experience God's love. We need the Holy Spirit to strengthen us and empower us to understand and experience what is beyond understanding. Especially on a daily basis when we are distracted by so many things. The world is giving us signals all the time about our worthiness of love. We are unlovable perhaps because we're not thin enough, we're not young enough, we're not clever enough, we're not coming from the right kind of background, we've got this issue, we've got this problem, we're not really that lovable. And we need God's Holy Spirit to, to continually remind us of the ultimate source of all true love. And He, the Holy Spirit, is always present to us even when we may not be fully present to Him. The Holy Spirit is there. He lives in, in, within us, and he is present all the time. And sometimes hours pass, and he's probably saying, John, like, hi, hello, because he's constantly present to me and to every one of you, and yet I may not be fully present to him. Turning our attention to him is so important, whether that's taking time with him, the very first thing when you wake up in the morning before you even get out of bed to actually say good morning and, and engage relationally, or whether it's at a time that you've set aside to talk with him, to sit with him, or maybe to walk with him, or maybe it's spontaneously at various points throughout the day. It's just so important to connect with the person of the Holy Spirit. So God's love, God's love is immeasurable. It is so vast that no one falls beyond its reach and nothing can separate us from it. And Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church is that they, and by extension us, would know the reality of it, that we would live in the experience of it. And for that we need the Holy Spirit. And we need each other. As I close today, I want to consider the first three words of the prayer, which are also the title of the series, for this reason. So Paul is praying this prayer for a reason. In the preceding chapters, Paul's been speaking about the role of the church. Its ultimate purpose, really, is glorifying God. Everything we do, he says, is to be for the praise of his glory. We were created to love God, to honor God, to desire God, to find our fulfillment in God, our satisfaction in Him. Above everything else, that's the great purpose of existence, to live for the praise of His glory. So Paul starts this prayer in verse 14, for this reason I pray. Paul is exhorting the church to live out the life that God has called them to. But first, praise for them to know this love. 
because Paul knows that we are most effective in living lives which glorify God. We are most effective in living lives which extend his kingdom when we deeply know and experience the love that God has for us and for others. And everything else springs from that place. 